Welcome to Mayo Music. I am your host, Dan Pulaski. Mayo Music is an interview series where I chat with artists, musicians, and producers about their journey in the music industry. Today I spoke with Dylan, a.k.a. Ill Gates, a producer, performer, and educator of electronic music. He has been in the game for a long time, making music for over 15 years. He regularly tours across North America, Europe, Australia, and Asia. He collaborates with some of the biggest names in electronic music, including Datsik and Bass Nectar. In the interview, Dylan takes us on a roller coaster journey through his mind. We talk about his ill methodology workshops and website, and he tells us the importance of sharing your knowledge and giving back to the producer community. We discuss the concept of creating a conversation around your music. We talk about touring, mentoring, collaborations, purple cows, and DJing via hologram. And finally, he helps us understand the concept of playing the long game and always finding ways to pay it forward. Now, Dylan gives us one of the most energetic, entertaining, and inspiring interviews I have done yet. And I really hope you enjoy it. Let's do it. How you doing, Dylan? I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this interview and, uh, you know, bring my various nonsense to your listeners and viewers and such. You're oh, a man I... on a mission, and I respect you for it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to join me. Um, let's see. Should we jump right into it? Yeah, man. Let's do it. What you got? All right. What you got? <laughs> so the Ill Methodology Workshops and website and, and courses Tell me, just tell me, explain those to me briefly. Um, I'm sure the listeners are maybe familiar with them, but g tell me a little bit about them, why you started them, and I guess kind of more importantly, how it kind of affected your career as a whole, or how it continues to, excuse me. Okay, well, um, I it, it all started with me just being very, very, very open with sharing my knowledge with people and with trying to help all of my friends who are musicians make more effective use of their time because I, you know I've been I've been doing this for a long time and when I I started in like the early 2000s you know YouTube didn't exist and it was like really hard to find people to teach me about music so I'd have to like bribe the guys at the guitar store with weed to like come over to my house after and like help me set up my sound cards and stuff and I was like man there's gotta be a better way you know I mean I had some good times with the dudes from the guitar store but I was like there's gotta be a better way than than this and then looking at these like institutionalized music education you pay like 10 grand for a year and you're not gonna come out Tiesto you know like that's gotta come from inside you can't just like take a bunch of these courses and come out a rock star so it's really like you know how could uh, you know how how could I like help people to bring what's inside out in the best way and to get all the fucking bullshit like technical limitations out of the way? So at first I was mentoring people and helping them finish their tracks because I mean a lot of people can start a track but you know it takes it takes like twenty percent of the effort to get a track eighty percent of the way and then it takes eighty percent of the effort to get it the last 20% of the way to finished, you know? And a lot of people don't, you know, they might have a good idea for a song, but they don't necessarily know how to finish it, you know? 
So it was just like Mortal Kombat for a while, you know, where it was like, finish it, finish it. I'd come in, finish people's songs. They'd pay me. they get the credit. i get to pay my rent. <laughs> and that was that. So I was mentoring people and finishing tracks for them. And then, uh, you know, I kind of, like my, my own personal music career, because basically the worst thing you can do if you're a musician is to accept wastage of your own time for financial reasons. It's the worst thing you can do. Like, I really do believe that you have to take the plunge and be a full-time musician if you're really going to be able to look back on your life as someone who was born a musician, if you're going to be able to look back on it without regret, you need to be able to dedicate 100% of your time to being a musician as soon as possible. And it's really easy to be like, oh, no, I'm channeling the energy from alphabetizing insurance forms into this, I just got to claw my way up, brah. But it's really, that shit is in the way. Like, it's in the way. Anything that, if you're born a musician and you know you're born a musician, anything that is impeding you from doing that, especially if it involves being yelled at by some fat motherfucker with money, is in the way. It's in the way. You need to remove that. You know, so... Um, you know, tutoring and uh, helping people finish tracks, that was, you know, those were the first kind of steps, the little baby steps that I took to getting the fucking fat, blotchy, red-faced motherfuckers out of my life and to get them to stop making decisions for me and wasting my time doing shit I hate, you know? So that was kind of like how I clawed my way out. You know, that and selling weed, but, you know, I'm, I stopped selling weed long enough that I can joke about it now, you know, like, yeah. I did that shit. Before I was 18, I was fucking Canada. What are you going to do? I sold weed to buy music equipment. That's that's what's up. But anyway, I don't think so you that, were the first one to do that. No, I don't think I was the first one. Yeah, dude, when I bought that first MPC, all in $5 bills, the guy was just like, yeah, where did that come from? And I was just like, give me the MPC, buddy. Give me the fucking MPC. You know? Anyway, so you know, but you, when you get, when you're an adult, you can't sell weed forever. You know, you gotta figure out another way to to another kind of hustle. Because honestly, if you don't, you're someone else is gonna figure out some way that you can generate money with your time, and it's gonna be in anything but your best interest, right? So anyway, so I was like, okay, I'll tutor people and you know help them with finishing tracks, and then eventually. You know, I had the time and energy to devote to my own personal music career that it started to pop off, and I was on the road a little bit more, and then it became impractical to teach people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So I started doing group workshops, and that was great. I could piggyback them with gigs, and, you know, I was coming from Canada, and crossing that border is really, like, expensive in terms of flights. Like, any kind of flight that crosses that border is going to cost way more than it should cost. So... Um, you know, I would go on these tours that were like a month, two months, and I've been with the same girl for almost 10 years. I love her. I'm lost without her. She's the fucking best. And being away from her for so long was really bad. Um, so I, I've changed that part of my life. You know, now now it's just weekenders. I live in the U.S. Blah blah blah. But back when I was living in Canada, you know, I would I would need to go on these long tours, and they were heart wrenching, and I would have to find um, I'd have to find a something financially productive that would 
enabled me to justify you know justify the expense of these crazy tours because when you start touring you're not making money you're not making money you know like you have to take all kinds of gigs that like don't even cover the plane fare and blah 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 for exposure and that's that's just how it is you know like unless you know some magic fairy in a suit's gonna fucking discover you which they won't no magic fairy in a suit's gonna come fix your music career they won't do that unless that's gonna happen which it won't then you gotta fucking figure it out and you know i i knew that i wanted to to be a touring dj and play live shows and like just help to like inspire people and like give them because i mean music i was in a very dark place music helped me out of a very dark place and i owe music my life you know i owe i owe it like if my if i stayed in that dark place i wouldn't even have a life i would probably be dead so in my mind you know that love and that giving back for music was like to, to the workshops were a marriage of me keeping love in my life and keeping my sanity when I was away from my woman who is just amazing. She's the best ever. And also it was a way to kind of make the tours work out financially. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm still doing something that I love. It might not be playing a gig and it's making the tours feasible. I'm going to do these workshops. So I did these workshops and toured for a couple years going in and out of the U.S. Uh, but Eventually, you know, one thing led to another, and I was able to obtain a work visa and get to be able to move to the U.S. And at, once I moved to the U.S., it's like thick and fast with the gigs. Like I spent like three years uh, here that I've lived here, and I was examining, you know, kind of like how many of those weekends I spent on the road. And in three years, I think I had five weekends not on the road, Ooh. which is fucking terrifying when you think about that because, right, San Francisco to anywhere, you know, okay, so you got Thursday, Friday, Saturday for gigs. San Francisco to anywhere is like two flights, right? Mm -hmm. So you got two flights out, two flights in between the gigs, and then two flights home. That's eight flights a week for <laughs> three years. You know, like, my carbon footprint is a fucking tank tread. Like, I'm <laughs> such an asshole. Like, I really am. I just shit all over our planet and the beautiful resources that made my life even possible. And I'm really trying to, like, figure out ways that I can not do that, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, DJing everybody's living room by remote hologram would be pretty fucking cool. I'm kind of hoping that that happens and I can just, like be fat and in my pajamas and like some avatar of like handsome me is just like <laughs> killing it at a private party in everybody's living room at once. That would be cool. But yeah. you know, and I, I mean, mind you, that's not a replacement for DJ gigs. I would All still right, Dylan, Dylan, let me, let me, I'm going to reel you in on this. Oh, I'm come a, on. That was a hell of an answer for my first question, but it's only half of my first oh, you question. Love it. You love it. <laughs> no, I do. I, I wanted to let you go. Uh, but I, I think we gotta we gotta keep this interview probably under two hours. As soon as um, the remote well, we don't have to. They always, <laughs> if you ever want an interview to end quickly, remote holograms. That's how you okay. wrap it up. <laughs> so so okay so 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 we got kind of why you started it. You know, it was out of necessity. It was out of your love for music. You you wanted to give back. Well, the web the and, website. And, and I mean, there's more logical progression. The website is the logical progression. That's right. Right. And I'm bit is I'm fucking on the road all the time now. Mm -hmm. And I have to do it remotely. I can't. I can't teach workshops right. anymore. So the website was the obvious progression, and mm -hmm. then 
from there, insert question. Right. So I guess my question was, besides the immediate impacts monetarily and, and giving back, did did you see a lot of benefits from giving back to the producer community like that? Oh, I mean, where yeah. collaborations coming everywhere. I mean, how? Yeah. I mean, I mean, tell me a little bit about that, and and from the perspective of um, a young producer trying to do something like that, maybe not on this scale, but how could they give yeah, back to the producer community in a small way? And is that something you would obviously encourage? I would always, say. always share your knowledge, always give it away. Love, knowledge, money, all those things are like a handful of sand. And the tighter you hold it, the more of it slips away. It's best shared. And honestly, you could teach a kid every production secret you know. They're not going to make your next record before you. And if your music is only about technique, you're a demonstrator. You're not a musician. You're a demonstrator. of uh, uh, You know, you might have innovative techniques, but if your music is merely technique, you're making studies. That's what they used to call, like, study number three, study number five, or whatever, for pianists, where you would, like, you know, learn a certain little polyrhythm in your fingers or whatever. Those are st called studies. You know, it's not a sonata. It's not an adagio. It's not a symphony. It's not any of that shit. It's a study. You know, if you just want to make studies... That's cool, but if you're a musician, you should not be afraid of sharing your knowledge. You should not not be afraid of sharing your knowledge. Or sorry, if you're a composer, not a musician. Not the people who compose studies are not musicians. Just to clarify that. But if you are a composer and you you are making music that actually is about emotions and human beings and all that kind of stuff, you're not making studies. So don't be don't no one's gonna snake you on your skill that you've learned. And frankly. You know, to approach the music industry as a competitive, like, dog-eat-dog -dog thing, like, I know you hear a lot of that crap in movies, but it's just the music industry is different from that now. And, you know, a lot of the best musicians got their start as teachers. I mean, look at, like, Flume. Flume blew up this year. That guy, like, I think he still teaches at the SAE in Australia, School of Audio Engineering in Australia. Um, and Mr. Bill. For example, one of the best musicians I've ever met, you know, and he teaches all the time. He's completely just like uh, just open, open book with his knowledge. And honestly, it's just going to help you forge the right kinds of relationships with the right kinds of people that are going to help your music career. Like there's no reason for any musician to be guarded with their technical secrets unless their music is merely about technique, which... I trust your music is not. So if you have something to say and you have a heart in your chest that beats and makes you feel things that you need to exemplify in song, share your knowledge. Share it. It can only help you and all of the rest of us at the same time. Share all of it. That's great. Um, okay, now I want to talk about... Um, I watched one of your videos and you had said something like that I think it was like your second track you put out, maybe your third and like your fifth. You said all got signed, and you were like 19 years old. Yeah, uh, totally. And of yeah, course, since then, yeah, and of course, since then you've you've had you know multiple tracks, you know, signed to a variety of different labels. Um, can can you give us any insight into um, you know getting that first track signed, or what what a producer's approach should be? I mean, should they 
you know, where should they start? What's what's kind I mean, of step one for that? It's a bit of a crapshoot, really. You know, like it's it, it as much as it would be nice to be like I'm this like music teacher bro, and I can like totally tell you every shortcut to everything you've ever wanted to know. It is a bit of a crapshoot, and uh, probably the best thing you can do, right, is to check out this TED talk by a man called Seth Godin, G-O-D-I-N, that is about uh, the, the purple cow, right? So let's say you're walking or you're driving down the highway and you pass a cow. So what? You've seen a cow before. You don't have any cow-related problems. That cow isn't relevant to your life in any way. It's invisible. It's boring. You continue driving. But then you continue driving, and you see a purple cow. Holy fuck. Stop the car. Is that a purple cow? It is a purple cow. It's right up next to the fence. I can reach out and touch it. Whoa. Somebody, I got to get a selfie right now. Boom. Facebook status profile update. Holy shit, I saw a purple cow today. Here's my selfie with the purple cow. Next thing you know, it's on Reddit. Everybody's fucking sharing it. And boom, everybody knows about the purple cow. Did that purple cow spend any money on marketing? No, it didn't. It was a purple fucking cow. So if you want your idea to spread, you need to think of creating a conversation. Right? Let's say I like chocolate cake and you like chocolate cake. If we have a conversation, it's like, hey, I like chocolate cake. You're like, me too. Chocolate cake is awesome. Love it. That's not a conversation you would ever mention again. I would feel embarrassed to even have that conversation. It's a boring conversation. That's like, isn't the weather nice? It is nice. Yes. You know, like, you're not going to tell anybody. That's chit-chat, you know? A conversation is it's something that you can't help but, but mention. You can't help but bring up that subject. You can't help but be engaged with it. That's, an, that's the conversation I want to be with, not we both like chocolate cake, right? A purple cow is a conversation. You can't see a purple cow and not have a conversation about it. You know, and so many people, they look at the music industry and they look at, like, you know, fucking, like, Rihanna or, you know, Katy Perry or whatever fucking god-awful garbage they're ramming down our fucking ear holes lately, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's all marketing, it's all blah, 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 but it's not. Like, if you look at fucking, what's the Thick son? Uh, Robin Thick. Robin Thick. He <clears throat> sold, like, 58 copies of that new record that they were trying to pretend everybody loves. <laughs> Nobody cares. There are no Robin Thick fans. It's all fucking smoke and mirrors. And just because the media machine is like, these people are famous. You should love them. Doesn't mean anybody fucking cares. You know? And likewise, you know, when they're all like, no, look at Fox News. It's on the TV all the time. Everybody's a fucking idiot. You know, I mean, we're smart, but they're all fucking dumb. That's why they're voting that way. And that's why they have all those dumb thoughts as they watch. Nobody watches Fox News and takes it seriously. Nobody. Nobody takes that shit seriously. You know, it's all fucking smoke and mirrors, man. And so many people, when they're coming up in the music industry, they're like, well, I don't have the fucking money to throw a million dollars of marketing at my fucking boring record. It's like, no, the fucking shit is boring. If it wasn't boring, people would talk about it. 
People can figure that shit out. They got the internet now on computers and shit. People will sleuth that shit out. If you do something interesting, they'll fucking find you. You know, they really will. And, you know, it's like, it's not about being good. It's not about being skilled. That's fucking boring. You know, you ever go out to fucking St. Paddy's Day and they got the rock and Irish band killing it and they don't even turn the fucking sports ball game off above their heads? They're human fucking furniture. They're very skilled, but they're human fucking furniture. And that can happen to any skilled musician. Like, it's not fair, you know? It's not, like, it's not about, like, heart or skill or any of that. It's like, can you make a conversation? You know, and what that is that conversation? To the music. And just the Purple Countess. You can make shit music be a Purple Cow conversation. Like, this Purple Cow thing has nothing to do with quality. It has nothing mm. to do with quality. You can... You could be a terrible purple cow. And often, terrible music is a much more interesting conversation. And I mean, you think that, like, you know, PR people didn't come up with, like, Miley Cyrus sticking her fucking tongue out when she's, like, grinding on Robin Thicke at the VMAs and shit? Like, that made her record. You know, everybody's like, fuck her, she sucks. But, like, you know, I first heard about Skrillex from haters, you know? And, like, it's not a conversation without haters, you know, and people in these big PR agencies, they recognize that. And if you, if you are going to pay them, you're going to pay them to concoct you some fucking hate because if you don't have haters, you're just not doing anything relevant, man. You're not. Like, people don't hate on... It takes skill to suck. You know, it takes skill to be fucking shitty. And, like, if somebody's just amateur at music, that's boring. You know, but that shit that you just, like, wish you could unhear, they're just like, oh, fuck you for ever making me listen to that song. That That's the work of a very highly skilled team that's paid millions of dollars. You know, those fucking songs that you're just like, oh, no. Like, you know, you have to be good. You have to actually be good in a way. It's not a way that you or I have a taste for, but you have to be good in a way to suck, you know. It's not... Uh, it's not the work of amateurs. It's just tragic. It's tragic, okay. but it's not the work of amateurs. Anyway, so that, that was oh, a yeah. good rant. Yeah, yes, like, yes. I, I, I think I remember where we were. Um, let's, uh, let's just go a little different direction. Um, let's yeah. go collaborations. Um, I, I've, I've heard you speak about it in the past. Um, one of your recent collaborations, one of many, I should say, with, uh, with Bass Nectar for your track, uh, Expanded. Uh, yes. Uh, one of my favorites at the moment. Um, I, I, my question is, like, what makes a successful collaboration, and why is it important for for producers um, at, at 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 I guess any stage in their career to be trying to seek these out? Hmm. I mean, I'm gonna answer those in reverse order, but I think. Um, collaborations they're either important to you or they're not you know some artists do best left on their own to just squirrel away in in their studio and just like go deep you know i know a lot of artists like tipper for example crunch was cool that's his collaboration effort but crunch was cool but his real gold is his solo stuff like just tipper you know and like he he'll spend like a month designing a percussion system for one track. 
he's mental. Like he puts so much time in, he just does it by himself and that's what works. But there are some people that they just like, you know, the just, I don't know. Like I get a little like, I, I don't know. Like I love to share everything about my life. You know, like I love to just like, I just figure like, you know, let's say like, uh, you conquer the whole fucking world, you know, like it's like Ayn Rand, like capitalist dream times infinity and you take it to its logical conclusion and you have all the money in the world and you're on this like pile of success and you're just sitting there on this fucking throne. That would be fucking awful. Like when you really carry that logical exercise to its conclusion, all of that pile of everything is fucking worthless without someone to share it with. You know, and if you don't have that love in your heart and you don't have that, you know, you don't have that, like, you know, that, that pair of ears and eyes and fucking hand to give you a high five. It's like, you know, people in jail, like the worst thing you can do to someone in jail is to put them in solitary confinement. And like, that's fucked up, you know, like to be away from rapists and murderers is a punishment. That's fucked up. It was Joe Rogan who first pointed that out on his podcast, which you should listen to. But I'm I'm the kind of person where I think about those things and I need love in my life and I need to have someone to swap high fives with or else it's just like, you know, it's just, you know, you're like Smog the Dragon in The Hobbit or whatever, you know. It's just like, you know, what, what are you going to do with all that treasure, you know? Like, what are you going to do with it, you know? I'm just, I'm the kind of person that I need to collaborate with people. So that's the thing that's in my heart and you know that, that I found my path with that. But if you don't need to collaborate, like don't feel like blue balls about it or whatever, you know, like it's, you either have it in you or you don't, you know? And I've found that like for me collaborating with people has been totally fruitful, especially collaborating with Lauren, you know, that guy is just, you know, he's like one of my one of my best friends. But anyway, so you know, whether to collaborate or not, that's up to you as an artist. I'm a like let's exchange high fives on top on the mountaintop kind of bro. So I collaborate a lot. So now as far as my collaborations with Lauren go, uh I, you know, first met him when he was like playing one of my like well, literally my first vinyl record. It's called Ice Nine. Uh mm-hmm. and it had like, you know, it's like a breakbeat record and it had some like you know, totally like ironic sample of a fucking bent preacher, like talking about how rock and roll is going to like make children worship Satan and shit. And Lauren, like, I guess like gravitated towards it and he was playing it a lot. And then he looked me up, was like, Hey, how's it going? This is like 2002, maybe 2003. And you know, I, I checked out his like, cause he had to physically mail me CDs because MP3s were like totally like, Napster was like made out of like rocks and sticks back then. So, um, so yeah, he physically mailed me some compact discs, which are, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a music format. It's kind of like a, a hard drive that you can't write to in a shitty plastic format for, for I appreciate young listeners. you explaining that for our listeners. Cause yeah, I, know, not I mean, many of them are probably on a computer that doesn't have a CD drive in it. Of course. Yeah. So yeah, CD drive, CD ROM drives back in the, in the Stone Age, it was uh, you know when we first first developed the laser. That was how we first started. No, I don't, I don't know. I'm being, 
<laughs> but anyway, so he emailed me um, emailed me some CDs, and I was like, hey, this guy's music's all right. Uh, one thing led to another, and we became friends. And you know, he would like come stay on my couch when he played in Toronto, and we'd do tunes. And I was like, damn, this guy is like a lot like me, you know. And like, I'm kind of a weird dude, you know. And like, it's not often that I'm like this person is a lot like me. Like, I just don't, I don't know, I don't, like, meet a lot of people who are bent in the same ways and about the same things as I am. And Lauren, I think, likewise. So we really kind of hit it off. And then, you know, um, we just did, like, tons of collaborations. Like, every time we were together, we were like, let's just, like, maximize these fucking precious seconds. So every one of those songs is pretty much just us, like, tune a day style where you know we just got together in the studio and that's what we made that day and when it was done we were like hands off sorry slapped the microphone apologizes to apologies to any of you whose ears were ruptured from my <laughs> gesticulatory violence uh but anyway uh uh yeah so we we would just you know try and do a tune in a day each time we were together so like you know, boombox and lions and like you know all those all those tunes that we've done together are pretty much just like us together doing the tune in one session, and then in later sessions we kind of like um, did more of a bit of a back and forth on the internet. But I found that was a bit less productive and it's just less of um, it's a bit more clinical, you know. Like I need the vibe when I'm writing, you know, mm -hmm. and having the homies there in the studio, it's awesome. You know, I just love, like, my favorite shit is to, like, wake up in the morning, have no idea what I'm going to create, sit down with one or more of my homies, tag team that shit, make a great thing, and then go to bed and be like, wow, now this thing exists. Like, that's, like, that's, like, my ideal day, you know, is, uh, is to do that, and... You know, that's why so many of my tracks are collaborations. And that, and just the kind of, like, economic realities of being on the road all the time. Like I said before, you know, I spent a lot of my life, like, um, you know, traveling from Canada where I'd be on the road for months at a time. And, you know, it's like you got to fill your days with, with love if you're going to be away from the love of your life for, like, two months. Like, you got to keep your sanity. So it's like you better be doing something that you love. Like, you can't just while away the hours you know otherwise what is the point of being away from her you know so um so yeah so you know it was kind of like a combination of those two things uh led to like heavy amounts of collaborations lately i've been like been writing a little bit more on my own but i've been doing kind of more for live performance and less for less for studio um not that not that those tracks won't come out but you know i've been definitely writing a bit more for live performance uh but yeah, anyway, Lauren is like one of my best friends and those collabs are fucking great and almost all of them were done in a day. And Expanded was actually made on a hotel television set in Australia. We plugged the output of my computer into the hotel TV RCA input on the, uh, you know, pinkies up like Bass Nectar hotel room TV <laughs> set. <laughs> And we pretty much wrote the whole thing. Like, we'd started it at my house where we had, like, a couple of the sounds, but we hadn't, like, got the vibe yet. And then, uh, yeah, pretty much most of that tune was written on a hotel TV in Australia. That's awesome. Yeah. You got so, to so, make the most of the time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
So, I mean, it sounds like, you know, your collaborations, it, it, they, they started with the friendship, and it was about, you know, working with oh, people you legitimately yeah. wanted to work with. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not going to work otherwise. I mean, no. I mean, do you collaborate with people who are just acquaintances, or you haven't? No. Okay. So that would be a big thing that, you know, uh, Yeah, obviously... every single person I've ever collaborated with is my friend, and all of those collaborations, like, anytime you see two credits, it's pretty much one studio session where it's just like me and someone that I love dearly trying to carpe the fuck out of some DM. You know, we're just like, let's let's seize the day. Let's make the most of this precious time we have together in, you know, respect of each other and the, the limited time we have together. Let's make the most of it. Let's bang out a tune. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, that's pretty much how they all started. And it's, you know, it's just life on the road, man. Like, it's mm -hmm. just life on the road. Cool. Well, I want to continue down kind of the community, the producer community path, and talk a little bit about mentors and and how how does a young producer, you know, approach a more seasoned producer about having them mentor them? I mean, what can what can that producer, you know, kind of how can that young producer add value to that seasoned producer? Are there ways that they can approach that um, relationship? Yeah, there are many. Um... One thing, like, in turn, okay, so uh, probably the best way, right, because seasoned producers have way too much shit to do and no time to do it. So if you approach them and you're like, dude, you know, my parents are super fucking rich. I can give you, like, $1,000 an hour to, like, hang out with me and, like, teach me about music and, like, you know, I'll fucking pay you so much money, bro. It'll be awesome. Any producer will be like, fuck you. Don't waste my time. Get out of here. But like really polite, you know, because they're all really polite. But they're, they're politely in their mind. They're being like, what? Go away. Like, fuck off, you know? That's just not, you know, you cannot buy your way into this shit, right? That, that currency has no value. That has no value. If you are going to try to approach them from an economic perspective and not from just being someone that they want to write music with, right? Because that's that's you know that's the ideal. If you're just you know a talented person who it's obvious that they should be writing music with you, then yeah, they'll come to you. But if you are trying to make it happen and you are trying to make it happen from an economic perspective, one of the things that has the most economic value to producers is time, right? And I've talked to tons and tons of people who got their start in the music industry by like interning at like a, you know a record label or a studio or you know being a personal assistant to um, someone who has like a business and no time you know et cetera et cetera et cetera. But you know and it's like it's you know it's the same kind of pay pay it forward mentality that really enabled me to get off my feet, you know, with, with sharing my knowledge and stuff. You know, I was in a way interning by being very forward and sharing my, my knowledge and, you know, like helping people with real problems and helping them save time. So because I was so, um, you know, so open and so, so pay it forwards with that and was able to just like give without expecting anything in return, genuinely you know genuinely without expecting anything in return then the returns come but if you're like going to kind of strategically try and buy your way in and blah 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 that's not going to happen but really like if you can just be like an open-hearted person and make yourself useful 
and then be the hardest working person in the room, you know, and if you, you can get in there by having an open heart and genuinely wanting to be useful to whoever it is that you want to teach you, then they'll be like, oh, great. I would love to have more time to do all of the things. Then you'll get in there. And then from that position, if you can prove yourself by working harder and more effectively and being cool to hang around with goes a long way. Like if you're like, freaking out and having like a big dramatic meltdown about like a trip to Home Depot or something like you're not gonna things are not gonna go well for you you know the music industry weeds out the spastics like very ruthlessly you know and uh, but yeah just you know get in there by being useful time is a much more relevant currency than money and once you're in prove yourself by just working harder and more effectively than everyone else. Right? Once you get that chance, you got to take the fucking chance and run with it. You know, it's not like, like, I mean, being in the music industry, there's a lot of time where you're like, oh, fucking free drugs, vaginas everywhere, awesome. And you can just totally, like, waste your opportunity and prove yourself to be a fucking schlub. You know, if you're going to really make that opportunity count, you need to, like, keep your eyes on the fucking goal and go for it, you know? And if, if once you've made yourself useful through volunteering your time to save these established producers that you'd like to have mentor you, once you can save them time, you can make the time in their life for them to justify mentoring you, then you need to, like, not be distracted by the fucking sea of free drugs and vaginas and continue being effective. And mm -hmm. if you can continue being effective, then people are going to be like, now that's who I need involved in my thing. And then mm -hmm. you're going to end up involved in all kinds of things. And you can rise really fast if you have that attitude. Mm -hmm. You can rise really, really fast. But you got to pay <clears> it <throat> forward and you got to work harder than anyone else. Okay. So, so and, the, and there's no specifics there, right? It's like, you know, yeah, how can oh, you save this producer oh, time? No, it's like, no formula I'll, I'll make their, I'll make their, I'll say I'm going to make the cover art for their next single, you know, free of charge. Hey. Here it is. What do you think? Use it, don't use it. Or, or hey, I, I see you're playing here. Do you need someone to, to take shots, take photos, video? Um, you know, yeah, I'll do it for free. Yeah. I mean, is that kind of is that kind of what I'm hearing here? Well, also just however like, you can do it. Like, yeah, however you can do it. I mean, you know, those kinds of things are one thing, but it's also like it's the fucking boring shit that just takes time. Like, you know, like like being around the studio to like roll joints and get coffee. You know, like the fucking super not glamorous shit that just takes time. You know, I mean, I'm not saying you should go around fucking wiping the asses of every fucking DJ you like. But, you know, if you can if you can find a way to genuinely be like, look, you know, like I'm real about this. You know, it's not like about me as a photographer. It's not about me as an artist. It's about like actually being fucking helpful in terms of providing someone with time, you know. Because, I mean, there's lots of things like, you know, mailing things, you know, making support phone calls with gear companies, you know, um, booking flights, you know, stuff like that. Just the super boring shit that is like there that producers and, you know, musicians have to deal with. If you can take some of that off their plate, like it's totally not glamorous. It's super shitty and lame. And if you can take some of that off their plate then they are going to really respect that if they're if they're someone who is worth learning from
Okay. There is an outside chance that they might just be a dickhead and just like be like, oh, I'm just like a love sponge. Thanks for everything that you, you know, thanks for all the help. I'm just going to be a dick. But then you don't really want them teaching you music or fucking anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it depends. You have to find someone who's not a dick for this strategy to work. Luckily, most of my music buddies are not assholes. So that's good. Yeah. No, it's totally uh, good. It's yeah. Um, cool. I wanted to talk about, um, you've said in the past that, you know, if you have a, a style of music and you, like, stick with it and just kind of keep going, that it's not necessarily a great long-term strategy, a long-term play. Um, yeah. And I, I guess I kind of wanted to ask you about that, um, particularly because last week I interviewed um, a young producer who's been doing this kind of melodic dubstep, remixes of 90s and 2000s punk rock bands or punk punk songs basically um, okay. and he's been really consistent with it he's put out you know eight releases or so with the same style um, and and the consistency of style is what's really kind of been building his momentum um, yeah cause I mean what kind of what kind of advice would you give to him in terms of what his next step is or is continuing to kind of do that? You know, okay for now, or wow, this is this is a, this is a deep question, man. <laughs> this is a very deep question. All right, so there's a lot of pressure from just the dynamics of the way people like music. It's not even from the industry; it's just from the way people like music. That uh, you know, there's there's a great deal of pressure for a producer to find a template of style, a template of sound, and to just keep doing that thing only more so, right? But that can be a real trap, you know, and that can lead you to make increasingly derivative music, especially as, you know, financial concerns come into it, you know, and your career develops. It can become a real pressure to become increasingly derivative and predictable and boring, and then your flavor of the month passes and you got to figure it out again. Now, probably the most effective way to participate in the music industry as a content provider (laughs) would be to do that and to just make a new alias each time the shit gets worn out. And that's what most people do, right? That's probably probably the best thing to do. Now, I can't do that. I have some kind of a psychological thing where anytime I'm sitting down in the studio, I'm like, okay, I did that already. I did that already. I did that already. What can I do that's different from everything I've ever done? What can I do that's new? How can I explore that? And it's a fucking curse, man. It really is. I love it. I love the way it stretches my brain. I can't help but do it because it's the fucking art I love. But from a business perspective and a financial perspective, it's one of the worst fucking things you can do. Like it really is. And, you know, if you're going to make like dance music especially is so fucking disposable. Like it's so fucking disposable. If you're going to make dance music, the best thing to do is to just be like, you know what, these alter egos are disposable, I'm going to hammer out a template, I'm going to hammer out a style, I'm going to beat it until it's dead, and then I'm going to do it again. 
you know, that like from a purely practical perspective is the best way. But I I can't do that for reasons that are far deeper than the amount of time that we have left for me to answer this question. So um, so yeah, I'm, I I don't know. I I I mean, there really it does make sense, you know. And people are so specific with their tastes in music, and they want to know what to expect. You know, they want to be able to trust you to like do this or that thing. It's like you know when you like really like a DJ for like you know being a dubstep DJ or something, and then you find out about their like secret passion for like bad 80s music and they have this like DJ mix of like 80s R&B that you're just like the fuck bro like I don't want to listen to this you know yeah I, I mean I mean that's I totally am that guy I totally am that guy <laughs> I have to fucking have all of the things in one place cuz I don't even fucking know why and it's totally impractical and stupid but I that's just that's just me man I see Okay, so okay, well, I, I guess I guess that yeah, it's a it's a good answer to my question. That's that it, it makes sense to to continue that because then you build on top of you know totally. you you have this track totally. that everyone loved and the next one it's just you know it's, well, it's that track but a different take or a, a little different variation but small. Yeah, because like if you're gonna be a purple cow. You got to be a purple cow. You can't be a purple cow one week and a pink cow the next week mm -hmm. and a polka dot cow the next week and a plaid cow the next week. But that's I just want to be all the cows. <laughs> it's a problem. It's a struggle, man. It's a struggle. <laughs> I want to be all the cows. But yeah, don't be all the cows. Be one cow at a time. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to uh, I wanted to ask you, I guess, about something specifically. Um, I don't know if it's maybe kind of outdated, but I know you, you put out uh, put out your album, uh, The Ill Methodology. Um, I believe the first thing you did was you put it out for free in exchange for email addresses. Um, correct me if I'm yeah, wrong there. I, yeah, that wasn't... I, I've done many free, email, free for email releases, but mm -hmm. the actual full album wasn't free for a year and a bit. Okay. Okay, well, well, then we'll just talk about, I guess, those releases that you did with that email exchange. Yeah, um, well, all, I mean, all of my shit is available eventually as free for email. It just mm -hmm. might not be available right off the bat when you need it to, like, chart and you need labels to make their money back and blah, blah, blah. blah. But in right. all of my agreements, I eventually get to give it away for free. Right, right. And so, I mean, tell me about that specific strategy of collecting emails. Um, like, you know, is that... You know, something that's still effective today is that something you would recommend a producer yeah, you know, work into their release schedule? I I would definitely recommend like because I mean it's just this is what I'm saying about how there's like no hard and fast formulas and like you know until the last couple months I would have definitely been like yeah it's emails or nothing you know like you got to get those emails because I mean like. Emails and especially geographically organized emails are so like that's the fucking engine of your whole shit, you know, like touring and and just being able to contact people. But there, the landscape keeps changing. And for example, like um, uh, Google Gmail, which everybody fucking uses, Gmail just recently implemented this feature where a lot of uh, like any incoming email with the word unsubscribe in it goes to a promotions folder. And who's ever going to click a fucking promotions folder? Like, I don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. 
It's, it's awful. You'll never click in that folder. You'll be like, oh, oh, you, you know, here I am answering email, my favorite thing to fucking do in the world. Mm-hmm. And now there's this folder where I can answer email from people trying to sell me things. Oh, be still my beating heart. Like, <laughs> you're not going to fucking click that folder. <laughs> Nobody ever is. Ever. It's like a spam folder that nobody's ever going to open for all the shit you signed up for. And it's just like, now that's what's happening. So, I mean, it's better than fucking Facebook. You know, I mean, I fucking, dude, Mark Zuckerberg, like, let's not forget that he started that website because he hated women. (laughs) He was spurned by women. So he had a website where you would rate women. You know, to take their power away because, you know, it's totally, like, not a man's world or whatever. Like, he founded that website of being a sexist asshole. <laughs> you know? And that's how it started. And then it expanded into a social network. And, like, I'm going to fucking, like, oh, dude, I give that guy probably, like, you know, 1500 a month. And I just, like, every fucking penny, I'm just like, fuck you, Mark Zuckerberg. Fuck you. And I have to because fucking Facebook is, you know, that's the mainstream. That's where everybody fucking goes. Can't be bothered to browse the internet for themselves. They got to let their friends fucking do it for them. So they, what do you, what do you think about Twitter right now for musicians? I love Twitter. I think Twitter's great. Yeah, I love Twitter. I just wish it was more popular, man. And But mm-hmm. it's not. Everybody's on fucking Facebook just putting Mark Zuckerberg's balls right in their mouth. Gazing at him lovingly in the eyes while he swall while they swallow the semen of Satan. <laughs> Fuck! I hate Facebook. I hate it so much. I really do. Ugh. All right. Well, let's see. I, I want. We kind of touched on this earlier about you know creating music and then all the other all the other stuff you got to do outside of that. You know, in you know whether it's spending time on Facebook or on Twitter. You know sending out emails to blogs and and all that stuff in the in, you know when you're first starting out like is there like how do you maintain that balance like where where do you draw the line should it be like 90 to like 99% creating music and the 1 Dude, to 2% there's no, there's like no where? formulas for this shit there's no formulas for this shit like what works for one person might not work for another person and mm-hmm. you know it's like like, really, it's got to come from the love, you know? That's, like, the only fucking formula is that you have to make legit shit from your heart that people feel and that they can't help themselves from talking about. The rest of this is just, like, you know, like, when you're a kid and you think adults have shit all fucking figured out, you know? <laughs> and then you turn out, and you're, like, 20, and you're, like, oh, they're just making this shit up. <laughs> We're all just making this shit up, man. And, like, it's like adapt or die. And you either have more fire in your heart that you need to do it and more ability to adapt or you don't. You know, it's like like if you're looking for formulas, there are none. Like, if you're looking for formulas, it's like uh, there's this famous encounter between, like, Mozart and one of his admirers where they're like, hey, man, how do you write a symphony? And he's like, well, you know, I I can't tell you that. And they're like, well, you wrote a symphony when you were five. How did you write a symphony? And he said, I wrote it by not having to ask anybody how to write a symphony. 
And granted, that's a very facetious and insulting reply to whoever it was who received it. But you either have it in you to figure it out or you don't. And it's like cultivating your ability to fucking assess the landscape, figure out where, like, your passion is, like, that's what drives you. You, like... You know, it's like you don't become an artist by being like, should I be an artist or not? Let me get my fucking toes wet. You know, you're an artist because you have to be an artist. And if you're a person who has to be an artist, you have to figure out the landscape. And if you have to figure out the landscape and it's changing all the time, invest in your ability to learn. Right? Your ability to learn, observe without your fucking stupid brain shit getting in the way, actually see what's going on, and adapt to the actual shit that's happening, that's much more important than memorizing a bunch of formulas about how other people got successful in the past. It's like copying someone else's music genre because by the time you figure out how to make the perfect copy of that thing that was successful for that person in the past, that trend is done. And nobody fucking cares about your perfect copy of something that happened fucking two, five years ago, whatever, right? You need to basically focus on your passion, on communicating your passion as effectively as possible, and on being able to adapt to a changing landscape as effectively as possible. But so it's not just about... You can't follow in anyone else's footsteps. You have to make your own path. If you it's don't just make getting your own hands path, dirty. Yeah, I'm you just doing it. That's it. I can't, I can't tell anybody. Like, I can tell you about what my path was, but that path is not going to be your path. Right. Make your own path. Okay. Um, we haven't really talked about live shows at all. Um, I kind of want to talk ah, about that I a little bit. Live music. Um, Bass sucks. What was that? I hate live music. Bass sucks. <laughs> all right. Well, let's see. Where should we Where should we start with live music? Um, I guess. Um, uh, I mean, again, I think I think your answer may be very similar on this question, but but we'll see. Um, I mean, t like I feel like a lot of right now. You know, producers are putting out tracks online and building this following online, and maybe that maybe they're playing some local shows. Maybe they're still like house part doing house parties in college, but at a certain point they got to go from playing locally and and they have this following online to start playing shows in you know you know uh, two cities away from them down in L.A. Um, you know up in Seattle. How do you have any kind of insight into how they make that that big jump right there? Um, like. The first step How does that happen? Is to create a palpable absence. When you are noticeably missing from a situation, the people there will figure it out and they will bring you there. You have to be noticeably absent. Right? So what is it to be palpably absent? Well, you've got to make things that remind people that maybe you should be there. As a musician, that usually means making tracks that everybody's playing. And if you can make a track that people can't fucking help themselves but play, they're going to be like, you know who needs to be here? That person. Right? But if you're going to try and like schmooze your way in, it's not how it works. That's not how it works. And you know, like, I mean, you can you can kind of, like, you know, do cocaine with the right people and get somewhere, but 
I find like a lot of people are very dismissive about the music industry and they think that it's all that. It's not. You know, it's really about who is noticeably missing. And if you can make them miss you, they will bring you there and you will have a show to play, right? Now, when you're first getting shows, you might have a job that is comfortable and these promoters or whoever will promote or approach you and they'll be like, hey man, I don't know if this shit's even going to work. You make some weird ass music for my town, but I'm trying to turn them on to your shit. I can afford a plane ticket. Now, at one, one part of you might be like, hey, you know, I have a job. It pays me monies to do things and alphabetize insurance forms or whatever. You know, I can't miss that time at work. Not for a thing that doesn't pay anything. Rationally, I cannot accept that wage. And then you don't do it, right? That's not the right approach. That's not the approach that will get you a music career. I find it's much better, especially in the early stages when you do not have a manager or an agent, to say, hey, you're willing to fly me to your town to play some music? I'd love to do that. But what would really make it work is if you maybe talk to somebody who's within driving range of your town and they can maybe pick up another show and you know maybe you or some of your friends can like drive me there and you know we can hang out for a bit and then I'll do that show and then come back and you guys can split the costs. It'll be cheaper for you and I'm willing to do this. Then they'll be like, oh, okay, great. I need to tell all the promoters I know in my area about you and I need to tell all the like cool ass homies who I would get to drive you about that. And then if you're lucky, there'll be another promoters heard of you and some cool people for you to like kick it down with. And then suddenly you have A, another gig that's going to pay your way and B, there's some party kids who are going to go on and on and on for the rest of their life about how they met you at this one time and you had this road trip before you were famous and blah, 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 blah. And like, isn't that person fucking cool? And now they're promoting you, the promoter's promoting you, and you have another gig that's paying you money, Right. That's the kind of like proactive pay it forward approach that it takes to really turn someone's passing interest in your music into an opportunity, you know, and it's really like, you know, it's like you got to want that shit like, you know, you don't, you, you can't want that shit like a fucking Gucci handbag. You got to want it like air, you know, like you got to feel like your head is being held under the fucking water and you need that shit to live you know that's the and if it's like that for you in your heart you'll figure it out and you'll find a path and the path will come to you but the path and the opportunities are not going to make themselves present if you're getting your toes wet and you're like oh you know what i fucking love folding boxes at the box factory and like i could make a hundred dollars instead of fucking flying to this place to go dj a gig for free so i'm just gonna stay at the fucking box factory and fold my shit because i know that's gonna pay me a hundred dollars then you're you're just gonna end up with a boring fucking life and a bunch of regret so really you know like if you have that in you if you know if you're not a musician that's fine you know like that's totally like you know no value judgments or whatever but if you are a musician and you sell yourself out, you deserve your boring fucking life. 
You know, that's your personal hell that you've created by selling yourself out and selling out your craft and selling out your passion to fucking play it safe and economically. Like, there's people all over the third world that are so fucking talented that would kill for the opportunities that your existence, as shitty as you think it is, would present them. And if you're not ready to fucking do it for them and for all the people who need to hear your music and you're not willing to, like, put your fucking life on the line for, like, you know, a weekend that might not pay off, then get out of the way, you know? But if you are willing to do it, just just think, like, okay, you know, how do I create conversations? How do I make relationships that last? How do I make people feel good about supporting me? How do I help the people who have supported me make money so that they can do it again? You know, like just play the long game, man. You got to play the long game. You can't, like if you just think about the short term, then, you know, you'll get short-term benefits. But if you really, Absolutely. if you want to have a life that is like, like your beautiful ideal life, you got to play the long game. You got to play the long game and you got to pay it forwards. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. Um, all right, Dylan, I have two more questions for you, and then we'll, okay, hopefully I'll we'll be wrap up. The scotch came out pretty early today. I got gifted this, like, gentleman's uh, traveling bar, and uh, there's these cups. Yeah, this friend of mine, they uh, they named their baby girl Gates. Oh. And, uh, gifted me a gentleman's traveling scotch bar, and I had some friends upstairs, and I... Uh, I thought I would show off my, my gentleman's traveling scotch bar. So oh, if you're wondering man. why I'm so rambly, I'm <laughs> the gentleman's traveling scotch bar. Well, you didn't tell me. I would have joined you. Uh... <laughs> well, we, oh, yeah, we can pause it. I can ne- next time. My, my tin cup is, is empty. It's all very hard. First next. of all, it's real. <laughs> all right, Dylan, let's see. Um, okay. So, so two, two more questions, questions for you. Fantastic here, yeah. So... This these could go uh, a lot of different ways as well. I feel like um, it's something I've been asking at the end of each interview. The answer is um, no. <laughs> I'm just trying to. Make- <laughs> um, so so tell me like what what is one of the biggest mistakes you think you've made in your oh, career? Oh, great you would question. Hate to see you would hate to see another young producer make. That's a great question. Okay, all right. So check it out. Now. What my largest mistake was to be overly practical in my ambitions. And I grew up in a house full of musicians, and many of those musicians were were older, you know, like in their 40s and 50s, uh, and um, had kind of... Um, you know, had kind of like like they were they were doing it because they had to because they're musicians. If you're born a musician, you have to do it your whole life. You don't get a choice. But they had you know made you know different decisions in their lives, and I guess you know like had either been discovered or not. But m- most of the ones like I, I grew up in Ottawa, which is not exactly like the crack in this music scene. But I grew up in a house of musicians, and many of those musicians gave me very practical advice for, you know, being the kind of musician who ends up staying in Ottawa. And, you know, like, uh, same thing with, I was in art school a lot, and many of my art teachers gave me great advice if I wanted to, like, be a high school art teacher, you know? And 
really, you know, you can be kind of pessimistic and practical, but, and I mean, I came out of that. I made it work. You know, I made it work. I, for the longest time, I was like in a place in Canada where nobody cared about the music I made at all. And, you know, I'd be DJing for like, like I, even when I was blowing up outside of my city, I'd come back to Toronto and play for like a hundred bucks or like beer, you know, totally fucking embarrassing. And, you know, if I had, like, I, luckily I kind of had, I had escaped that, but especially if you don't grow up in a city that's like an entertainment industry city, like LA or, um, you know, like, like, uh, Las Vegas or whatever, New York. You know, a lot of the people who you're going to talk to who are kind of musicians are people who stayed in that place that is not an entertainment industry place, right? And the advice that they're going to give you is going to be based on their life, right? Their life is not necessarily your life. And you really have to give yourself, A, permission to fail, very important to give yourself permission to fail and that was my entire music career was started by me giving myself permission to fail when I was like you know because I had, I had like a pretty promising uh, graphic design kind of thing happening and you know I could have totally been comfortable designing like fucking tampon boxes for people I hate you know I totally could have done that and you know I had this horrible fucking boss at this intern position that I have or I had and I was like you know uh, I just got my first record out and done my first tour and I just like I went to this graveyard because like my neighborhood the parks were all full of crackheads and shit because it was like I was like really really poor for like a really long time you know so I live in this neighborhood that's full of crackheads and you know if I wanted to go to the park I would go to the graveyard because the fucking park was like fucked up you know and I was just sitting there looking at all these like broken illegible tombstones and just being like wow you know like does anybody care whether these people like played by the fucking, you know, stupid shit that their grandparents told them or not? Or like, you know, were they really like, you know, cause so many people who fucking just shit all over their own dreams. They'll tell you that the best thing to do is shit on your dreams. Like a lot of people will tell you that. And, you know, and I was just looking at these fucking tombstones where it's just like, people weren't even keeping them upright. And it's like, you couldn't tell what name it was and like all that shit. And I'm just like, do you think like they like they're dead and like their grandparents are dead and all these people are fucking dead and like what does it even fucking matter to these people you know like it's like oh it's just, so many people are just in this competition to be the most normal and shit and it's just like you got to break through that so giving yourself permission to fail that's the first step of breaking through that but the advice that I would give people that is beyond that, you know, because if you're going to be a musician, you've given yourself permission to fail. If you're going to be any kind of artist, you've given yourself permission to fail. Beyond that, to really give yourself permission to succeed. To give yourself permission to succeed is to give yourself permission to dream. And we all have these dreams inside of us. Like, you know, I want to be a musician. I want to go to Paris in the springtime. I want to fucking you know, collect cherry blossoms in Tokyo or whatever, you know, whatever your fucking dream is. We all give ourselves permission to dream and we dream big and we dream wildly. But then there's a point where we're like, hey, I need to see how this dream fits into my real life. I need to figure out how I'm going to make this dream practical. And 
unless you're hanging out with rock stars all the time, if you want to be a rock star, don't take advice from people who aren't fucking rock stars. Okay? If you want to be a famous artist, don't take advice from failed artists. Right? It's important to give yourself permission to fail, but it's also important to give yourself permission to dream and just know none of us have this shit figured out. None of us artists have this shit figured out. We're all making it up as we go along. And many of the biggest, you know, shortcomings and failures and whatnot in my career and mistakes that I've made have come from me taking this beautiful dream that I've had and trying to put it into someone else's box because I'm venerating advice unnecessarily and I'm you know I'm putting you know, cuz it's not it's like it's like the purple cow it's just like it's not about skill it's not about you know it's not about being good it's not about being legit it's not about paying your dues none of this shit is fair none of it is fair you know none of it is about fucking justice or skill or talent or fucking heart or any of that none of it is about that you know it's just the dynamics of human social interaction and what makes people excited or not and that's not fair you know and it's like you know i mean i don't want to be crude but it's like you know when you're either attracted to someone or not you know and there's no there's no fairness like a cock is either hard or it isn't you know and it's like is that fair or is it not you know is it like biologically fair like who cares who cares you know it's not fair none of this shit is fair let go of the idea that it's fair and let go of the idea that it's practical and really like you know, if you look at like the Zimbardo prison experiment, you know, like in Stanford where they, they had all these students vo volunteer and you were randomly assigned to be, either be a prisoner or a guard and none of these people did anything wrong or right. They were just part of an experiment and because the role of being a prisoner or the role of being a guard had a weight to it, they started fucking abusing the shit out of each other like so fast where like people were being made to brush toilet seats with their toothbrushes and like you know weird pervy sexual shit was happening and all this <laughs> stuff and they had to like stop the experiment you know because and what what was it like did those people do anything wrong no they just they accepted the role for themselves as either a prisoner or a guard you know and life is this big fucking like role playing game you know and we're constantly trying to be the role that we think other people expect of us and we're also constantly creating the roles that we expect other people to play, you know. And so many times there's a problem with your life or with something, and it's so easy to say, oh, well, it's that external person, it's that external force, it's that external thing. I'm just being practical. I'm just making my way through, you know. But really, like, embracing the power of your imagination to create the roles that you are expect yourself to play and the role that other people expect you to play you know mm -hmm. like you got to babe ruth that shit you got to you got to feel that power and strength in yourself and you you got to just like call it you know give yourself permission to dream big and when you do dream 
fucking like stick to your guns, man. You can't just be like, oh, you know, I stubbed my toe. I shouldn't fucking run a marathon. You know, you have to like, you have to go the distance. And, you know, it's like so many people, they accept these patterns both from within and without. And, you know, even if it's like, a, you know, struggling with an addiction or something. Like I smoked for years and one day I was like, not why shouldn't I smoke, but why do I smoke? What does this actually get me? What is the benefit of this? And after examining thoroughly all of the reasons that I did smoke, I found they were all a bunch of bullshit that I was feeding myself. And then I was like, okay, I decide to quit smoking. And that was it. Then I, I haven't smoked since. You know, and like there's so much of power in the imagination and and there's so much of an ability to just make a decision and have that become reality because you decide it in any moment of your life. You mm -hmm. can be like, I choose not to be addicted to this thing. I choose to create a better life for myself. I choose all these things. And, you know, it's kind of like what I was saying about Mozart with that symphony where it's like he didn't have to ask anybody how to fucking write a symphony. He just like checked out symphonies and he's like, okay, I'm going to write a symphony. And he's five years old and he made fucking kick-ass symphonies. Mm -hmm. And it's just like if you're asking for fucking permission and logistics and trying to find formulas and trying to be practical, you're just getting in your own way. You know, like just get out of your own way and do the damn thing. You know, like mm -hmm. if you have a passion for it, just fucking make a decision, get out of your way and fucking do it. And it, it is that simple. It is that simple. And that's like, if there was one message that I could say was like the core of the ill methodology is that like Zen school of sudden enlightenment, you know, where like you can, you can just decide a thing and have that be real you know and that's the power of the mind you know you don't have to ask permission you don't have to plan a strategy you can just decide and have that be and so many people lose that power and they give it away and they're like oh no you know i should ask the fucking experts or whatever you know fuck the experts fuck being practical dream big make a decision and fucking do it you know, and it's mm -hmm. that simple. And if you study the lives of any of these people who have made these amazing leaps, there's always been this moment where it has become that simple and they've done it. And it's not to say that there's not a lot of work involved, but the power to decide and change reality, whether it is changing your role or changing an addiction or changing mm -hmm. fucking anything. The only thing you can't change is your health. You know, like take care of your body, take care of your nervous system, you know, like, like live right in terms of your health because, you know, you can't just change that. That takes a little bit more work and there is damage that can't be undone when it comes to your body. But when it comes to the mind and it comes to the imagination, you can totally babe root that shit and just reach out and fucking do it. You mm -hmm. totally can. And my entire life as much as I've tried to live by that principle, my entire life has been me rediscovering again and again and again, ways in which I have been ignorant about that principle, you know, and ways in which I have sold myself short or not imagined as vigorously as I could. 
And even as much as I have imagined my own life and manifested that, there are so many ways in which I have not. Mm -hmm. And really, you know, don't just don't just give yourself permission to fail. Give yourself permission to succeed. And it sounds so much easier than it is. It mm -hmm. sounds so much easier than it is. It's a daily practice. It's a thing that you have to be diligent about because mm -hmm. there are always assumptions that are unquestioned. There are always like there are always ways in which we get in our own way, you know, and really to just like give yourself permission to dream big, to make decisions, to be impractical and to fucking just reach out and take it because you can, you know, you can, we all can. And it's really like, you know, it's so like, unless you're like born in some third world country that fucking you just like get raped and die, then you have that power, you know, and mm -hmm. it's important to just like, you know, to, to really respect respect that power and respect your own imagination and your own potential because we all have the potential to do anything anyone's ever done. We all have that potential. Mm -hmm. Okay. And rant. All right. Well, I got, I got my, my last question for you. I, I feel like in that rant you may have answered it, um, but I will, I will go ahead and ask it and let you maybe, maybe touch on one other thing. Um, and that question is, on the other side of the spectrum, what was there... What have you done really well in your career? What's something that you've done since since you know those first tracks you put out when you were you know 19 or, or younger? I think actually, um, you know, what is something that you've done really well that you that you just would yeah, like think, to kind yeah, of point yeah. out that other producers could look at? I mean, I, yeah, I, I do think I kind of um, have covered a lot of this to, in the beginning, but really, mm -hmm. I think the thing that that is my great strength as an artist, uh, you know, in terms of practical terms, is really just like being like open and collaborative and just you know coming from a place where I genuinely want all of us to succeed like I genuinely want every one of my students to be the fucking rock star that they've always dreamed of I genuinely want everyone I've collaborated with to be successful you know and you know when I hear about like this or that DJ you know getting to the top of the charts with some song I don't necessarily like my reaction is like good for them you know it really is and i like i just i just want to see this music pop off and i don't want to fight over what is already there i want to create something that we can all share you know and just being able to like have that vision of looking forwards in a collaborative way and just to just try to help everyone be their best and to take, you know, and like when I share something with someone, whenever they're successful, I am totally fucking fulfilled by that. Like I feel great. You know, anytime I see one of my students like get that fucking dream record deal or like, you know, play it ultra or like whatever, I'm just like, I'm genuinely fucking happy, man. Like that just like, I love that. I love seeing everyone succeed, you know, and that's enabled me to come from a place where I'm just like not guarded at all. And I'm, you know, always, always just helping people and, you know, other musicians will see that and they'll be like, Oh wow. You know, this is a person that can be helpful to me. You know, I should involve this person in my shit. And like, granted there are a couple times where like my input and output has been like lopsided with, you know, whatever artist, but I don't, I don't, I honestly don't care. Like, I don't care. I would rather pay it forward 
and you know just like have here and there like you know there's like one person that has maybe taken more than their fair share of my heart and be like oh shucks you know I'd rather just like you know snap my fingers and move on then you know like I'm just totally not butthurt about any of that at all ever you know I just always want everybody to succeed and I want to help them all do that you know and that's like because that's coming from just like an honest place where like I do want that people can see that right away and they're like oh wow this this guy's not trying to fucking like you know get get the big piece of chicken right now okay well that's cool and then like in you go you know and people have just like opened all kinds of doors for me that I'm like whoa you're gonna open that door you know like so many times and the payoffs are just like completely outweigh any kind of considerations of the opposite like it's just it's been fucking great so I mean like really if there was one kind of like strength of mine that is leveraging is just the ability to fucking just like love all of these musicians love their music and help them you know and if you're coming from a place where you like love people and you want to help them I mean of course everybody wants to help you you know of course Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Well, well, Dylan, that's all I have for you. Um, thank you again for, for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Awesome. Yeah. All right, man. A lot of fun. Oh, yeah, don't forget to buy all my crap on my miscellaneous website. Jeez, I have crap you should buy. You should buy that shit. Link's in the description. Did I, did I, did I, did I plug it good? <laughs> yeah, you're good. All right, Dylan. <laughs> Take it easy, awesome. my friend. Yeah, it's great to hang out, man. Lots of love, and thanks for doing what you do. Thank you. Okay, peace out, everyone.